So Blair, when you think of Wolf's Ridge Brewing, what do you think of? Well, they're craft beer, yeah. of course. But did you know they also have an amazing cocktail program, craft well, cocktail program? Well, actually, I did. Yes. <laughs> well, it's your job to know. <laughs> yeah, they have an amazing craft cocktail program in addition to their their brewing, which is pretty amazing. And and their food is amazing as well. It is. Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk. Mm-hmm a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm Blair Beavers, and here's your host, Leanne Sims. Our guest tonight is Chris Sini, bar manager, or at least that's what he calls himself, from uh, Wolf's Ridge Brewing in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, So like we said in our intro, Wolfstridge has an amazing cocktail program. Thanks mostly to you, I think, but not entirely. I think there was a cocktail program before you, but you've definitely stepped up their cocktailing game. Um, how long have you been there? Um, year and a half or so. And I mean, you said exactly what I would have said is there, I kind of walked into a really like strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, the bones and everything were there mm-hmm. and they just kind of needed to elevate it. They, their food is such a like high elevated food program that they do there in the dining room specifically. So um, they just needed to elevate the cocktails to kind of match that because yeah. they had good cocktails, mm-hmm. but yep. they weren't memorable. Like I want to go back just for cocktails. I, I, from what I remember, the times that I had visited there um, just as a guest, I remember they were re- they were good cocktails, mm-hmm. but really simple kind of riffs on some classics or stuff like that, but just good. They were there for the other guests that weren't beer or wine drinkers. Mm-hmm. So it was like the 10% there, they could grab a cocktail and, and it was okay for them. And that, mm-hmm. and there was nothing wrong with that. Right. They do have amazing food there. Yep. Their brunch is, is amazing. Well, actually everything. Well, I don't think I've it. ever had anything yeah. bad there. All of it's good. Um, it's it's amazing and right down to the fries. I mean, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. who is it? It's independently owned, right? Like, yeah. The okay. Suter family, um, Mary, Allen, and Bob, they started that a little over six years ago. Uh, the dining room was there first. I think the taproom came somewhere a year after. I think something like that. So they they had a restaurant before they started brewing beer, or uh, they have a unique history, um, but no. Oh. Um, how they started is unique and what they've done um, as a business. They're very business-oriented people. Um, I think the restaurant itself really helped stabilize the brewing when they first got started and having the food program that they have there kind of really kept things going for them and is probably why they've been as successful for them. The restaurant and the beer alone is crazy for for them and to be where they are because they were this is you know six years ago this was probably right i'm not from columbus so um i can only imagine when they were here being where they are downtown and before all these other 40 other breweries mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. have opened up since then so mm-hmm. that's it's a unique program that they've done there is this their only location mm-hmm. okay yep. where were you where are you from um originally i'm from arizona oh, okay i moved here from florida 
Oh, and now and you thought I want to freeze my ass off in mm, the winters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I left Arizona to go into the military. Um, I was in the Air Force for six years, and I was stationed in the St. Louis uh, area, um, right outside St. Louis, north on the Illinois side, twenty minutes. That's where I spent six solid years of my time. And when I got out, I moved to Florida, where I lived for five years, I think. Uh, how I ended up here is my parents moved up here, um, retired. My dad retired. Uh, my mom wanted to be closer to some grandkids. Two older brothers have lived up here for a long time. Uh, my grandparents have, have been up here forever. My mom was originally from Cincinnati, but she lived you know, her entire life in Arizona. So um, I have five other brothers. Oh, wow. So we're kind so of all over the place. And this what was a coincidence. This was, I think, the only place that there was two, two of them somewhat near each other, mm-hmm. uh, and they were the two that had kids. So. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah. Um, how did you get into bartending? Ah, uh, man, that's. It. So I, most of my career was heavily in, in craft beer, actually, uh, before I got really crazy into cocktails and stuff. Um, when I got out of the military, moved to Florida, um, I was pipe fitting for the VA, which I did plumbing in the Air Force, so it was an easy job to get. Um, I started picking up some home brewing stuff, and I thought that's kind of what I wanted to be involved with. Um, I took my uh, certified beer server from the Cicerone program before I ever, I was, I was hoping that I could pass that, and then maybe that could help me get a job in the bar, because everyone always told me, you know, you want to start in a bar you have to be a bar back or you have to do this and I was like I don't want to do that you know no one ever wants to do that yeah I know that that's kind of like a rite of passage for a lot of people and that's how a lot of people started out as they were busser or whatever um I was like I don't want to do that so one of the main like head world of beers there I know there are, I think one still in Easton up here it's actually started in the Tampa Bay area um and I worked ended up getting a job at one of the like smaller uh, main corporate headquarters locations or whatever um just kind of beer bartending at the time um i was actually hired as a server there and like a lot of people have similar stories where some guy called off on a friday night and i was like i'll work that shift Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to work you know and i worked that shift behind the bar and i had no clue what i was doing but it was just pouring beer and wine and you know that's very easy to do um and I, I think I've been buying the bar ever since then. So what is it about the profession that attracted you? Um, I knew when I was a plumber in the Air Force, I knew I wanted to do something different. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that anymore. Okay. Um, so I was going to school full-time uh, in Florida. I was doing bounced around school stuff. I did IT stuff for a hot second. I was, I don't know, I, had, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, the beer industry in particular, craft beer was really big down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to a bar called the Ill and the Witch uh, in St. Pete. It is one of the coolest um, craft beer bars that you can ever go to. Um, the bartenders, the staff, like everyone. What's there. it called? The Ill and the Witch. It's in St. Like Pete, right on right downtown. Yeah, they have really good live music there on like the weekends. Their their draft list was always really cool. Um, it was a very unique thing for me, like to try beer and like be like, I don't remember 
what I don't know what this is, you know? Because when I was 21, I lived in St. Louis area. Like it was Budweiser oh, and yeah. it was everywhere. And I think at the time that I was there, um, that would have been 2006 to like 2011. I remember Schlafly's in St. Louis was like the only, I th- that's when they were still calling it micro pub or micro brewery. And yeah. that's all it was, you know? And I remember having beer there and not knowing what that was because it wasn't the same, you know, shitty light beer that I've always had. Right. So having like my first like IPA or something like that, I was like, what is this? Mm. You know, and I wanted to just dive into that. And that's what I did. I've, I've always I've had a bad problem where like I do something once I, and then I just dive like head first and I forget about all the other things that I was doing. Um. That's called focus. That's actually a good thing. Yeah. It, it's helped me a lot of ways, I guess, because I've done that so many times to so many things that I feel like I'm somewhat well-versed in little things all the way around. You're a jack of all trades. A little bit, yep. Uh, I actually am. Uh, have, I've had so many different jobs, I think, in I'm 33 in like the last 15 years. Um, I've worked at department stores. I sold electronics at Best Buy. I worked at a screen printing shop where I helped screen print, and I worked their sewing machines and embroidery shop, um, bartending, serving. I worked uh, on for an oil company. Um, I worked on semi trucks. I've done all kinds of very interesting things. You're a well-rounded guy. Yeah. So that probably lends itself well to being a bartender because you can talk about anything. Sure. Sure. How did you transition from craft beer to craft cocktails? Um, That's a good question. So when I moved here, um, I didn't have any jobs lined up. I worked for, I'm going to throw some more jobs at you. Um, (laughs) When I first moved up here, Columbus is one of those places where you can get a job literally right now. If you don't have a job, you can go somewhere and get a job today because there's so much going on here. There's warehouses everywhere that need help. And I immediately walked into FedEx. It was right around the holidays. I started working for them. I left them. I worked at the Lululemon warehouse for a couple months during the holidays. I walked like 10 miles a day just Mm. picking yoga pants out of boxes. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew that BrewDog was coming here. I already knew that well before I ever moved here because my parents actually lived. uh, They lived 10 minutes away from the Canal Winchester location. Um, I did a really cool interview with them. And I got hired at BrewDog. So that's a big deal for me. That was something that I wanted to be involved with when they first moved here to this to the States. Um, and a month into working, it was a very chaotic month at that. It's now a hotel and restaurant and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a restaurant at the time. None of the brewing stuff was there yet. None of the hotel stuff was there yet. It was just a restaurant. And uh, a month in, I think we were just, the numbers that we were putting up sales-wise was insane. Um, in kind of similar to what I did at Woolstridge, I went to management at BrewDog and I said, hey, like someone, there needs to be some sort of managerial or some sort of person behind the bar every day because we're busy and we can't have, if we need, you know, to avoid something out or whatever, we're doing $30,000 on a Friday and $30,000 on a Saturday and there's tons of people there. I can't find the managers don't need to deal with that stuff. I can do that. Somebody else can do that. So I just kind of was like, we need to have like a lead bartender or something like there. And they're like, oh, yeah. So they talked about it. And then I was pulled aside and do you want the job? I was like, well, yeah, of course. I'm the one that told you <laughs> that we should have that. Of course, I want the job. Um, 
So it was cool for me, but the same, because I knew so much about beer working in it for a couple years prior to that. I was home brewing. I had actually brewed for a really small brewery in Florida for a while. Um, so the beer stuff I had down really easy. We had at BrewDog, they had, when we first started, we had like the base, basis, central base spirits. Like we had watershed and stuff, and we had some middle of stuff. Um, we had, we had Kraken rum and like, that was it. You know what I mean? Um, but for me, I looked at that as like, I was working with some other people who were not as experienced in craft beer, but had worked at bars, neighborhood bars or whatever. And they knew how to do stuff, you know, they knew how to make shots or whatever. And they knew how to do, you know, cocktail stuff. And I looked at that. I was like, well, if I'm going to be this like lead bartender person, I have to like know more than they do Mm -hmm. and the only way i'm going to do this by reading so i just started reading books and reading as much as i could and talking first i think the first book was the the first death and company book is what started Mm -hmm. that um and then i'm just reading books all the time now so that was the transition for me i was like i wanted to learn more about spirits because i felt like i needed to know about them even though like in BrewDog, especially out in Canal, it wasn't like a big calling for that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just a personal thing for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got into that and I started making cocktails at my house, um, I was like, I really like doing this. Mm-hmm. It was similar to brewing in the creative aspect, except there's no recognition for that. The brewers don't, you know, the people making all the money are the people pouring beers. The creative process, they, so like as a bartender, you don't have any creative control over the beer right but when you're making a cocktail it's completely up to you and i have a bachelor's degree in graphic design which i don't use but the creative side of that i think is what like attracted me to making cocktails was that creative kind of outlet to show make something and then show something to someone else very cool so what is your um what is your creative process how do you um create your cocktail menu at Wolf's Ridge? Um, so there's only, there's myself, and right now there's three other bartenders back there. So there's some super small staff, which I like. Um, we have barbacks that kind of rotate in and out. They they're support people, so they work other jobs throughout the, the business. Um, so the four bartenders that work in the dining room, um, we get together once a month, twice a month, when we're getting ready, like R&D for a new menu. Um, That's got to be fun. R&D can be fun, um, exhausting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this time we're trying to maybe approach that a little differently. But in the past, like we show up and we just start working on some stuff and um, we all have different tastes. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, helps build a better cocktail for us. Sure. Because... I like things maybe a little more, more acidic, whereas someone might like it a little more sweet, and we just tweak those specs just a little bit, and they work really well. Okay. Um, that's just for the dining room. My job also, I also do the cocktails for the tap room, and I do the cocktails for the event space next door as well. So you have the restaurant, then there's a bar there in the restaurant, and then if you go back the hallway, there's another completely separate bar wolfstridge has three bars and like three kitchens in that one building oh wow so you could go there on any given on a friday night and there could be a wedding in our event space a packed house in the dining room for dinner and then there's a blue jackets game like this saturday is a great example um it's packed before the game 
in the tap room. So, cause it's like a super casual area in the back, uh, mm-hmm. super focused mostly on the beer. Uh, kitchens back there is a lot different than the dining room. Um, they have burgers and sandwiches and wings, stuff like that. Super quick, super casual. And then you're off to the game. Whereas you may have like a really fancier dinner in the dining room. So the, the small staff that you have at Wolf's Ridge, you kick around ideas on cocktails and then you decide on a list. How often do you change out your cocktails? Is it seasonal or? Um, right now it's been seasonal. I think uh, the plan is for the next menu will be like a spring summer menu. Um, just because the cocktails that we've been doing, the current menu that we have is super simple. We did some classics and some kind of riffs on some simple classics. It's actually been the easiest prep that I've in the year and a half that I've been there. It's the easiest prep we've had so far um, because this winter menu is so short. Mm-hmm. And because of how long we put into making some of these drinks, it, I don't feel like it ever does any justice to do a cocktail for like four months or three months. Mm-hmm. And then it, we just immediately have to, we're just constantly rushing to do another menu. Yeah. Um, so the idea for this upcoming menu is to do like a spring summer one and we'll just switch it out every six months. Um, we may switch a couple cocktails in the summer, but like whatever didn't sell really well, we can just switch them to something new, but still stay on the same theme that we've been doing. Do you make any beer cocktails? You know, it's, we get, uh, I, I get a lot of, can you make a beer cocktail from our sales reps? A lot because they want to sell that to someone at bars. Um, I know the owners have come up to me a couple times and ask. Um, there was one when I first started, except the beer changed. And then when things, the issue is the consistency of not knowing what I'm going to have on tap sometimes. Uh. And if I'm going to have it on the menu, like in the tap room, for example, that's where they should definitely have a beer cocktail because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's where all the beer people are. But their draft list changes so frequently, it, you can't like sub one IPA for the other IPA because that doesn't work that way because they're so different. And right. they've got like, what, 40 taps there's back there? There's 20 taps back there. There's 20 taps in the Hickory Room. There's another 12 in the dining room. Okay. So there's beer all over the place, but it changes all the time. It's always changing. Okay. So in the past, um, we did last winter, like the beer component of a drink was taking our daybreak beer which is the coffee and vanilla cream milk it that. was a, it was actually the first tour i think that i did with you guys mm-hmm. um it was that old-fashioned maker's mark yeah and i just turned that coffee vanilla cream ale beer into a syrup so you still got that beer component into mm-hmm. it and the daybreak was still on the menu so it still sounded like something involving beer was in it um but it was consistent and i knew i was always going to have it right I like that. I mm-hmm. love it. I like beer cocktails. They're interesting and different. I think that'd be cool if you could figure figure that one out. Um, so you said you were you make cocktails at home. What is your go to cocktail at home? Do you have one? Um, it changes pretty frequently. Um, always old fashioned Negroni or daiquiri. Like it's any. It just depends on the mood. Um, okay. And the old-fashioned is not necessarily whiskey-based. It can be rum-based or gin-based. It's always something really simple at my house for myself. Okay. Um, I do a lot of my own R&D at, at my house for the menu. Um, 
because sometimes those sessions last a little longer and I don't want to drive in my car home because <laughs> it's been a whole bunch of tiny sips of a bunch of different drinks. Sure. So doing that in my kitchen is a lot easier. My home bar is very nice. I actually probably have more bottles in my home bar than I do at my actual bar. Um, so that's where a lot of the creative, my creative like work is actually done. Uh, but always old fashions, Negronis or Daiquiris for me. Tell me your daiquiri recipe because that's one of my favorites. Um, it's been changed. It's actually slightly changed, I think. Um, usually, I can, rum could go either way. It could be a full two ounces of one, or I might split it with something funky or weird or an agricorum. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to me as long as there's, it's rum based. Um, what had changed recently was I was doing an ounce, a full ounce of lime juice and then only a half ounce of simple syrup because I like the acidity more. And the same That's way. That's how she is. In fact, yeah. I don't even want simple. I'd rather just use like Luxardo or something sure. like that. Or Cointreau. Sure. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's perfect. Like as long as it's not super sweet, yeah. it, it adds some body to it. Um, but lately I have been actually adding that extra quarter ounce and doing three quarter ounces of, of simple syrup just because I think it, it is actually more balanced that way. Mm. And it's more if I make that for anyone, they're going to be like, yeah, this is good. Or if I make it my way, they may, it may not come across that. It doesn't read that way because I don't, I don't know you. you know. So if you mm. ask for me for a daiquiri at the bar, I'm going to make it maybe with that extra simple syrup because mm. it may be too acidic for you. I remember you saying that on our last cocktail tour <clears throat> that, that you – don't necessarily serve what you would drink because you don't like them as sweet as the masses. And of course you have to appeal to the masses. Uh, the, the, the guest base that we have at Wolf's Ridge is pretty much the same, I think, day in and day out. Um, and I can't remember what podcast that I was listening to, but the, the, the discussion came across, right? You don't make things you like mm -hmm. you, because you're not going to sell any of them. Right, as the bartender, because you have a taste that no one else has. You, you know, people don't take shots of Fernet unless you're a bartender, right? That's true. If, mm -hmm. So, like, everyone has bartenders have their own f taste, mm -hmm. but the guests are the people that are buying the drinks, right. and they're the ones that you have to like think about. So, right. even for me lately, it's been making drinks and like letting all the servers taste them during service, and like just to see what they think. Oh yeah. Because those are more people and expanding like your, as you're doing research, right? You just kind of expand that bubble. I even, bet they don't mind. Not, not at all. And then <laughs> it, even doing that with a guest, like they may ask, like, what is that? Oh, you, why don't you try it? Like just to see what they think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, th I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, if you ever need any guinea pigs, we're always available. The, we always, <laughs> always can use someone to try anything for sure. Because again, there's only four of us, right? And we all have our own thing. But right. even us, even once mm -hmm. we decide on something, it's like, okay, we all like this. But maybe if we added just this, all the guests will like it. Mm -hmm. Not just us, you know? Right. So it's different. Right. Well, you're going to make us a cocktail tonight. Uh, is it something that's on your menu? Nope. No. Just a classic Mai Tai. Classic Mai Tai. Yum. Okay. Love me a Mai Tai. All right. I think this is a good time to take a break and make a cocktail. Go. All right. And we are back with a classic Mai Tai. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, so yeah. first you really smell the mint and then the 
The funky rum. Yep. So the rums um, back in when Trader Vic was making it, obviously, was a crazy 15, 17-year-old uh, Ray and Nephew rum. <clears throat> Trying to mimic that. that. Good. Uh, this drink is it's such a crazy drink because it's one of like the classic tiki drinks. Mm-hmm. But if you were to Google that, right, you're going to see drinks that are like red, they're orange, mm-hmm. that are like black floating on top of it. You've such a weird thing because the transition from tiki first started up till today, it's gone through a crazy up and down, right? And it's one of those drinks that most people think of as like, this is like, I don't want a sweet drink. It's not a sweet drink. Mm-hmm. If you make it with the right rum and you put the right amount of juice in there and the right amount of orja or whatever syrup, <clears throat> it should be like a really dry, refreshing drink. And that's the way I think of it. Um, this is so good. Mm-hmm. I love my time. So this one in particular, I use the, the Plantation Zamaka rum, ounce and a half for this drink. And I've never made it with these rums before, but I just know what they are. Mm-hmm. So... The great thing about rum drinks in particular is I like to switch different things to see how they play with one another. Uh, then we did a half ounce of Dr. Bird. I've never heard of that. They're out of uh, Two Janes out of Detroit. Okay. That rum is crazy. It's very intense. Um, it's a Jamaican rum. They go and pick out barrels. They bring them back. Uh, they finish them in Muscatel cask, and then they blend them together for the final product. It is really intense. So, like, think Smith and Cross, mm-hmm. but like really funky. Okay. Um, have you ever tried that plantation OFTD? I have definitely had OFTD. I actually had picked it up in Party Source before it was ever available here. It lasted me because it comes in a liter only. Um, that stuff is great. Yeah, it will good stuff. knock me on my ass, though. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's good. It's, yep, yep, yep. It's very, very good. It would work very well on this as well. I know it's a little darker, but it easily you can switch the two out. Um, if you really want to get fucked up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the rums, and then what else goes in it? Uh, so for this one I did for you guys, the two rums, uh, I did a split base um, or a split modifier for... The two curacao's, um, you could easily sub Cointreau or whatever you have. Uh, Grand Marnier works nicer. Uh, this is a uh, Pierre Ferrand's dry curacao, which is probably what something along the lines of he would have been using back way way back in the day. And I split it with um, Copper King's Distillaire, which is their orange curacao, which is really yeah. good stuff too. Um, both brandy based. Uh, the Pierre Ferrand's going to be brandy and cognac blend, and the Distillaire's a apple brandy base mm-hmm. um i just did a quarter ounce each of those three quarter ounce of lime juice and then for this drink in particular i did a half ounce of libra and company orgeat but sometimes i'll split that orgeat also with like a vanilla demerara or something like that mm-hmm. it adds just a little bit nicer to the the rum character kind of brings out some different things but just using orgeat is totally fine, and it actually works just just as good as anything else. Uh, if you look at some of, the, I think Martin Kate's recipe from Smuggler's Cove, they do like a split syrup as well. That's orgeat and demerara or something along those lines. Um, but just using orgeat is totally fine. It's Have really you ever good. made your own orgeat? <clears throat> no, I um, I think I've I'm, I make a lot of stuff. Right, we do a lot of stuff in house. 
Um, I've always found that Lever and Company stuff is really good. I like. I want to try it sometime on its own because I've never, I, I've never had a, a pre-made orgeat before. I don't think. So in particular, that one has got it's got kind of almost a grittier texture to it, which I like. Um, it's not like uh, like the Giffard stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, supposedly it's also pronounced Giffard. I don't know if you know that. No. That's what the rep told me. No. Uh, I just say Giffard because I think that's what we all think it's called, anyways. <laughs> um, but we know what you're talking. All about. that all that is is um, gum syrup with almond extract in it. There's not there's no like actual almonds in it. That there's you most definitely can taste almonds in it. Um, for me, it, that's a consistent product. And it's kind of like making your own bitters. I don't do that either. Right. Because there's so many great products already out there and they're consistent. Yeah. And I can worry about doing my other. Sure. Those those little modified ingredients I can just get from someone else. Yeah. It's not that I don't want to make them, but they've already done all the legwork that I don't want to have right. to Right. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. That's good yeah. stuff. It is good stuff. It's I really love good how content. you, and it seems like you've done this several times throughout your life, but you just nerd out over right now cocktails and learning everything you can about splitting the base and what that does to it and i love that i think that's just it, it's what makes your bar so unique to me right um yeah i don't it's again like i just i really started reading like i don't i don't have like a ton of mentors like if I do, there are people that I've never met. Like there are people, there are books that I've read or whatever, you know, because I have not gotten to necessarily work with like someone that I can like really like learn a ton from, right? Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity at that. I don't know if you guys know this, but I was hired on at Curio. I left BrewDog originally because I was hired at Curio. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, know that. And I thought that that was the opportunity that I needed to actually learn from some people that really knew what they were doing with cocktails, mm-hmm. and then taking that information in mm-hmm. outside of reading. There's nothing wrong with reading books. Sure, it's made me who I am, and that's how I've learned everything. Um, but I think that reading for me has been something I never wanted to do. I hated reading in college. I, I hate reading. Read, too. I hate reading books. I just don't have time for them. I don't have patience for them. Yeah. But when as soon as I read cocktail stuff, I just like I don't even time just flies by, mm-hmm. and then I immediately go to work mm-hmm. or I go into my kitchen. I just start cranking out shit that I just read just to see how it works, and that's kind of how I've always been with cocktails. Cool. Yeah. So if you could, if you could choose anyone in the world as your mentor, who would it be? Shoot. Living or dead. Living or dead. Um, I mean, so I, I'm really big, obviously, into tiki stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know where. I, I think I just started following, like, really getting into that stuff just before just before it got popular, like, really, really popular in the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just, it's, for me, it's fun. It's not, like, super serious and, like, snobby Manhattan drinker. Like, it's, like, this... It's just a fun time, right? And yeah. the point of it is to have a good time when you're drinking and to not worry so much about anything else around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love, I wish I could go back in time and like reading the books about when Tiki first started and like Don the Beachcomber and Trader Rick were doing that and reading about all the celebrity Hollywood actors and stuff going into these places and presidents, you know, going into these bars and stuff like it. 
for me, it, I would love to go back to that time period to see how that all worked out. Um, Fun. You know what I'm saying? But it, yeah. it, it's, I wish that um, Kahiki was here. I like, I see photos of it and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that thing is It was so amazing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, just the photos of it, like I can't even picture what it actually looked like, like the gravity of how big it was. It was huge. massive. I know, yeah. it, it looks massive. The photos look massive. I've seen like some videos of it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm just like, what are, like where, like why is that gone? Yeah. Like, it's such a it's crazy kind of a thing. shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a very cool place. Yeah. So how important is the ice? Um, not necessarily important. Um, I think crushed ice is very big in tiki drinks. Um, clear ice is 100% uh, important to me in like stirred cocktails, old fashions and stuff like that. Um, we started doing that at Wolf's Ridge recently in the last few months. Um, you know, it's little things like that. I don't know that our everyday guests, other than they go, oh, this is really cool ice, they don't necessarily understand why that, why it's clear, what being clear means mm-hmm. or what crushed ice does to drinks. Uh, for us, service, like if I'm serving this on crushed ice, we just short shake it maybe with a couple cubes and serve it because all the dilution ends right in the glass right mm-hmm. where all that stuff is if you're serving on a clear cube like that's important for those type of drinks because it dilutes slower um it doesn't over dilute your drink like if you did a cube from your freezer well, there's nothing wrong with that um so yeah ice is it's an it's an ingredient in a cocktail and it's very important depending on what type of drink you're making mm-hmm yeah, and you got this particular ice at Sonic? I go to Sonic all the time. Awesome. I don't even eat at Sonic. I mean, <laughs> I don't eat there. I can't I've never get like either. fries or I've... something, but I go to to get ice. And they, like, there was a, because we don't have it on this current menu, um, but I would show up there and I usually would just be like, I need 10 bags of ice. And they like, I feel like they look out and they're like, oh, it's that orange car again. Mm. Like, that guy comes here all the time asking for ice. Um, but I love I they just, probably have these wild stories about what you do with all of it too. sure sure I always just tell them I was like you know it's just for making drinks whatever and they're like yeah I don't, we don't care we don't care um, but yeah crushed ice I, like I said I know you guys know this but I love crushed ice and tiki drinks again not important you don't have to have it you can make a Mai Tai without it and it's mm-hmm. going to be just as good mm-hmm. um, but I think the crushed ice makes that drink really cold and yeah, that's like mm-hmm. the purpose of it. Yeah, and I I feel like when you have rum, you need like it it doesn't hurt it at all to to have it really cold and diluted because of the funky. I just think the coldness makes it. I don't know. It's refreshing. Like if you're sitting on a beach, I want like super frosted. Yeah. Glass like yeah. that and sipping on a really cold drink in the sun or whatever. Uh, and by the way, thank you for bringing a little summer to us on this shitty. Snowy, rainy. Yeah, the gross. glassware was a definite bonus. Oh, yeah. Cute glassware from the 70s. So um, tell us your best bar story, Chris. Um, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't, I f- it's sometimes, it's hard for me to think because I, I feel like it's, I'm often in the listener, you know, I've, I just, I listen, I guess. I don't tell them the crazy stories that I have because they don't <laughs> need to know that. And it, as a listener, you, that's what you're supposed to do, right? As a bartender. So it's the only thing that that I think comes to mind that isn't super degrading to me that I would tell it to you. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Would be like I, I remember bartending isn't for everyone, right? Service industry isn't for everyone, and I don't think 
I think as you're when you're a patron in a restaurant and if you've never been in the industry before or know anyone in this like you just don't know you don't really know what goes on mm-hmm. you're just like that person it's their job to serve me right mm-hmm. it's just no one knows what you actually go through no one knows all the shit we do behind the scenes mm-hmm. or the crazy amount of hours that we work or whatever and the people right. that we have to deal with every day um i remember and i i don't know his name and it's not important um i re- so like when brewdog i told you when brewdog first opened it was crazy that first month was it was just a line of people all the time at a restaurant that could seat you know 200 people or whatever um Fridays and Saturdays, we had five bartenders on the weekends on a night, nightly basis. We had a wow. bar back. It was busy. And we were always busy. Bar back washed glasses for eight hours straight. Like, that's all they did. They took the trash out and they washed glasses for us. That's it. That's, that's how busy we were. Um, and when they first opened, obviously, coming from Scotland and being in Canal, no one really knew what to expect, right? Other, other than it was a big deal. Um, but I remember we first opened, it was, I think the very, I think it was the very first day. Um, and we were just getting our asses kicked and we know none of us were really ready for it. You know, you, you can't, you can only prepare so much, but not really knowing what to expect when those doors opened up, you just didn't know. We just didn't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy, you know, we had, they did a really cool training, right? We do like two weeks of training before we ever opened. And we learned all kinds of stuff about beer, and we set up the bar, and we did all that stuff, right? We learned the food menu. Uh, I remember there was a kid. Again, I don't remember his name. Uh, I don't. They, I think when they first hired, they hired some experience, some not experience, kind of a mix of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, he was just like, I, I gotta go smoke a cigarette. We were getting our asses kicked. Not a good time to go smoke a cigarette. There was no good time right. when we first opened. You really couldn't take a ton of breaks. Like, that just wasn't a thing. Um, He's just like, I gotta go. I gotta go smoke a cigarette or something. He just left. And we were just busy. And we worked the rest of the night. Not realizing that that guy never came back. <laughs> <laughs> he just quit. He actually oh, wow. quit. And none of us knew until the night was over with. And because we were that busy. And we were like, wow. wasn't there someone else working tonight? <laughs> and he left. He just went to smoke just and he bailed. never came back home. Yeah, he never came back to the the bar. Wow. Um, and I, I still think, like I said, I don't remember. I can't even tell you what that person looked like. I don't know that person's name. Um, it was just a crazy story. And I was like, that's like, you either you either know what the industry is or you don't. Mm-hmm. And I think, I remember correctly, I think he had emailed management and just said he, he felt that he wasn't trained for that. He didn't know any. He, it was, he put that on the company. Mm-hmm. Um he just wasn't, he didn't know. He ne- yeah. There's no way you would ever know. And if you were never in the industry working on those nights, it was like a sink or swim sort of thing. So I have to say, I I was a waitress when I was a teenager, but I'd never, um, I never bartended or anything like that. But I spend a lot of time in bars and I do not know how bartenders do it. I remember sitting at the Rossi and there would be five people deep waiting for drinks and i i would curl up in a ball in the corner like there's no way i could i could do that yeah mm-hmm. it's a different i mean it's not it's not for everyone and it's i think as i'm as i've gotten older it's i notice like how much it takes a toll like on your body and doing the things that you do um but i mean the first bar i worked at in florida getting off at 
2 30 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes later if it was a crazy weekend you may be 4 or 4 30 i'm driving back home across the bridge um another 20 minutes it's five o'clock in the morning the sun's rising on the beach like and i just got off work you know what i mean and no, no one really thinks about all of that they had a really mm-hmm. good time mm-hmm. and they passed out they blacked out at right. two one two and they were asleep and they'll sleep all, all the morning or whatever and i'm just getting home like shit like do i get do i sleep I'm so t- i'm not, not even tired anymore because i'm wide awake I can go run to the bank here in a couple hours. I can go run some errands. Like it's a it's an interesting life. The industry, the service industry, is a very interesting interesting life. Mm-hmm. Um, and those that choose to do it, like myself, mm-hmm. you gotta have some respect for all of those people because yeah. it's, it's different. For sure, we're the reason you have a good time. Is, is yeah, kind of right. the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. that's how that, we see it too. We thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What's the most annoying thing that patrons do? Like, if you could say, don't do that shit, what, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> don't take 25 minutes to figure out what you want to drink. No, you know, it's... I don't know that I would comment on it. There's obviously, there's things that we know. There's things that you know. There's things that we see. Um, but nothing is like... There are things that happen every day. Right, every shift, and myself and my coworkers will talk about it right then and there. Like, oh, I can't believe they, you know, they fucking did that. Oh, that, oh, that can't believe these people. That happens. That happens all the time. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, again, people don't know. People don't know. That's the reality of it. People don't know about splitting checks. They don't give a shit. They just assume that you knew what they ordered was going to be on their check. And oh, so that's the thing. Well, Tell in advance. It's, thing, it's just thing, anything like that. But again, no one knows. And unless you work in the industry and you see it every day, I, I'm sure I'm guilty of doing all the things that I would say annoy me mm-hmm. before I worked in the industry. So it's just one of those things that's just part of it's part of the job. But that's what we're here for. We're here to educate the public sure, so they can be better be. patrons. Yeah, sure. I, yeah. don't, I don't have any. I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. Because at the end of the day, all I care about is that they had a good time. I don't care if they annoy me or, yeah. you know, as long as they left the bar and they had a really good experience that's the only thing i care about if they wanted me to do a bunch of shit i didn't want to do it's okay at the end of the day as long as they left that's all that matters. you're the consummate professional so have you ever had a weird tip or has anybody written you a note on your um on your their receipt um i've gotten lots of notes throughout you know the five or six years i've doing this that could say anything from thank you, everything was great, to um, like a zero tip and like this place sucks and you're, you know, I, any, anything in between there. It's, mm. there's good things, there's bad things, yeah. there's note taking, taking your slip, maybe you don't take, maybe you don't leave a receipt. Like again, there's, there's a lot of things that could happen. Um, tips, whether they're good or bad. It is what it is. I definitely have. I think I've only really gotten one at, at the Brewdog in the Short North. It was a crazy time when we opened that up, and I think we got you know, it was a different bar. It's a different bar for that area. Mm-hmm. We don't have crazy shot. They didn't have crazy shots there and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we didn't have any problem kicking people out mm-hmm. when it was they needed to be kicked out. Sometimes no one likes to be kicked out of a bar. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember kicking some people out, and they kindly closed their check. We would have closed it for them anyways. I think they wrote like a really nasty, and that's fine. That's like the, you know, it is what it is. 
You write it on as long as you don't write it on Yelp and and be an asshole about it. If right. you write it on your receipt, that's, that's cool. True. I'll just throw it in the trash. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. We met actually uh, one of the people from Brew Dogs today for yeah. the first time. He uh, he's from Scotland. His name is Keith, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yep. Um, super nice guy. Great head of hair. Sure. Still yeah. has a great head of hair. Still does. So when I met Keith, he had longer hair. Like brave, oh, yeah. Like he brave told us about that. Hair, yeah. And everyone thought, every, all, all the ladies, everyone loved him. I mean, I loved him too. He, <laughs> he looked, he legit looked like, he, like someone out of Braveheart. And he had the accent. I was yeah. like, yeah, look at his hair. Uh, Flo- like it was long. Dark. <laughs> dark with some red in it. Yeah. I mean, he legit looked like that. Yeah. And he, when he cut it off, everyone was like, what the fuck? He still looks like a handsome guy. He, get oh, yeah. I love Keith. But Keith's long hair, I think he had to cut it off because he was getting so much attention with his hair. Well, he told me today, I, I said, man, you have a really great head of hair. And he said, well, it used to be like all the way down my back to my waist, but I look like an animal. Like, And he's a big guy. Sure. He's like, I think people were scared of me. So I like cut it off. People but. flocked to him with long <laughs> hair. He's being very modest about his hair. I think that's the problem. People were literally <laughs> flocking to him with his long hair. He's a cool guy, very yep. cool guy. Chris, could you tell us the hours at Wolf's Ridge and if you have any happy hours? So we're, we're closed Monday. Don't come on Monday. Okay. A lot of people do. I'm usually in there working on something. Someone's coming in if the door's unlocked. Um, we do brunch Saturday, Sunday. We're open from 10 to 3 okay. for brunch. Fantastic brunch, by the way. Dining room bar will always be open um, from 10 to midnight. Uh, there's a little lull there before dinner service starts at five in the dining room. Okay. Tap room opens up at noon on the weekends. They close, we close at the same time, both at midnight. Um, Tuesday through Friday, uh, 10.30. Um, every day is pretty, I think it's 10 o'clock on Tuesday. Every other day is 11, uh, Friday and Saturday at midnight. Okay. What about happy hour? Do you have happy hour? Tap room does their own happy hour. They do some food and beer uh, specials. Pretty much all the time. Okay. Um, dining room at the bar. You have to sit at the bar. It's very specific. That makes sense. Because um, I want you to sit at the bar. Yeah. Uh, $2 off wine from 3 to 6. And then we do $2 off of our classic cocktails. And this entire menu is classic. So you can get $2 off any of our cocktails right now um, from 3 to 6. That sounds like a great deal. And yeah. you're there pretty much all the time. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm there. So I do Tuesday and Wednesday morning shifts for lunch because uh, I do all the prep and ordering and inventory. I try to do as much prep as I can so that the bar, my biggest goal is that the bartenders are always, it's not that I don't want them or they're not capable of doing a ton of prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to just come in and be ready to work and be ready to take care of guests. Sure. So I try to do the behind the scenes legwork so that they have everything they need for their shift. Um, and then I'm Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Yeah. Cool. All right, listeners, get to Wolf's Ridge, and um, Chris will make you a fabulous cocktail or pour you a beer, whatever you pour like. They, you they've got it away. all. Mm-hmm. Christine, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Seabus Craft Cocktail Tour. Visit our website at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com for cocktail tour dates, women and whiskey tastings, special events, merchandise. And if you're looking for a gift for that special person in your life, 
get him a gift card to our cocktail tour. Thank you to our producer, Greg Hansberry, and to the biographer for our original music. And please remember to drink responsibly and be cocktail curious. Cheers. Cheers.